0: Happy uh, Happy Sunday to you, uh, to those of you uh, in the community groups scattered around Todonga. God bless you. We're also joined today by our friends at uh, Mountain Hope Centre, Rory and Rena, Carl and Kalina, and the most excellent crew over there in California. So God bless you. Uh, today, uh, all things being equal, well it's uh, Wednesday today, but uh, on Sunday, all things being equal, I'm going to be uh, visiting Nelson. But you know, these are strange times that we live in. I'm booked and planning to go to Nelson. Uh, There's no reason that I can't go to Nelson and yet you have to hold these things loosely, don't you? Because we live in times where things uh, get disrupted. I've got an interesting topic for you today and I'll tell you what that is in a moment, but I just wanna begin with this. Um, A friend said this to me on the phone or something like this on the phone the other day and it really got my attention. It was something along these lines The church, as we have known it, will not survive what is coming in the future. The church, as we have known it, will not survive what is coming in the future. And I I believe that is true. I believe that uh, that the form of church that has been very familiar to us uh, will not survive what is coming in the future. And here's a quote that I read a couple of times in uh, prayer meetings. It's by someone called William Reed. He said this, this was way back in the 1950s. He said, all over the world, Christian people of all denominations are expecting something. We may not all dream the same dream. We may not all express it in the same way. The newborn hope that has arisen in our hearts of God's something that is on the way. God's something. Then he went on, he says, I care not how it comes. I care not through whom it comes. I care not what method is adopted, so long as that method is in accordance with the will of the divine spirit of God. So we have that feeling again today, 2021. We feel like something is coming. What is that something? Well, I believe, and this is not my topic for today. This is just a little preamble. But I believe that it's revival and tribulation. I believe that it's glory and that it's horror. I believe that it's power and that it's persecution, that we are coming into the great contrast of the last days that will be simultaneously the church's finest hour and also a time of great turmoil in the nations. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And with that in mind, um, this is the topic. So, so I've, I've never really focused on uh, this individual before when I've been preaching. But the Lord spoke to me, uh, well, I think he did anyway, about Mordecai. A few days ago, he spoke to me about Mordecai. And uh, and I have been immersed and stuck on and burning with and excited about uh, and intrigued by the story of Mordecai ever since. So uh, in you, you, we find Mordecai in the book of Esther. So Esther was actually, her name was actually Hadassah and uh, she was a Jewish orphan who grew up exiled in Babylon. We don't know if she was born in Babylon or if she was taken, I guess she must have been born in Babylon, excuse me. But after her parents died, she was adopted and raised by her cousin, Mordecai. So then what we have happening in the book of Esther is we have the king, the Babylonian king, King Xerxes, and he uh, he throws this seven-day party, a seven-day wild party. And it says that he was uh, he was in good spirits because he'd had a lot of wine, so basically he was a bit off his rocker. And he comes up with this idea that he wanted to show off his, his wife, Queen Vashti. So he summoned Queen Vashti to get all dressed up and come and parade herself in front of all the guests. And so she refuses. And to cut a long story short, he removes her, and a little while later comes up with this plan to search for a replacement. So they they send people out through the whole kingdom to look for beautiful young ladies to come into the royal harem. And they are given 12 months of beauty treatments, followed by an overnight visit with King Xerxes. And whoever he liked the best becomes the replacement for queen Vashti. So Esther gets drawn into this. Now, there's no record of how she felt about it. We don't know if she was willing or unwilling, uh, whether she thought it was an honor or a horror. I, I, it doesn't say. I have my suspicions, but it doesn't say. But anyway, Esther wins and she becomes queen in place of the deposed, banished Vashti. Now, This 12 months of beauty treatments and preparation for going into the king, I have on a couple of occasions, I've heard people teach uh, or present this picture of the preparation of Esther as a picture of the preparation of the bride of Christ for Jesus. But when I look at that, I go, hang on a minute. This king, this Xerxes, he was oppressive. He was immoral and he was wicked. In my opinion, uh, not to disrespect anyone else that's ever taught what I just suggested, I don't believe Xerxes can be a picture of King Jesus because he he was wicked and immoral. So I don't see this process uh, that Esther was in as a positive thing. So the process involved her being immersed in the processes and in the culture and in the values of Babylon. So while she was in there, Esther looked like, acted like, talked like, smelled like she was Babylonian. She was indistinct from uh, from uh, the Babylonians. And she was therefore unrecognized, actually encouraged to be hidden by her uh, cousin Mordecai. No one even knew she was Jewish, apart from one man. So, enter Mordecai. Mordecai enters the story in the book of Esther uh, as an odd character sitting in the king's gate. He exposes a king, uh, exposes, excuse me, a plot to kill King Xerxes, and effectively saves his life. Uh, for an undisclosed reason, it goes on after that to say that King Xerxes elevated this wicked guy by the name of Haman, to a role of great honor. And if you look in Esther chapter 3, verse 2, it says all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, saying, honor Haman. But look at this, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So this makes Haman furious, and he sets out to kill this troublemaking Mordecai. But not only Mordecai, he decides, I don't just want to kill Mordecai, I want to kill his entire race. I want to wipe out his entire people. I am going to kill the Jews. So Haman kind of convinces Xerxes, who doesn't seem to be paying much attention to what's going on, and Xerxes signs off, and this plan is set in motion, this wicked plot is set in motion. And it says here in Esther 3 verse 15, the couriers went out, so they went out carrying this command to kill all the Jews. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink. Look at this. But the city of Susa was bewildered. You know what? I think that's where we are right now. I think both here in New Zealand and there in the United States. Strange and unprecedented things are happening and I think the population are a bit bewildered. Mordecai, it says when this was happening, he was weeping and crying out to God for deliverance for his people and Esther, who had access to the king, was hidden at this point and still inactive. she hadn't she wasn't doing anything in response. So Mordecai, gets a message to hidden Esther. Esther 4, verse 12 through 14. This is familiar to us. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. So he gets a message to Esther and she responds by saying, hey, it's dangerous for me to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, here's what Mordecai says to this cousin of his, who he would have been deeply fond of. He'd raised her as her own, as his own daughter. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And here is the most famous part. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So he says to Esther, Esther, don't be fooled, you will not escape. And then he says, Esther, you are where you are for this purpose at this time. Deliverance, that's what you're there for. And Esther's response, Esther, who perhaps initially had seemed a little reluctant, now she responds like this in verse 15. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish, but I will go to the king. Esther, it seems, needed to be awakened. Esther had to step out of the place of being indistinct, And hidden indistinct from the Babylon around her and she had to identify with her people at the risk of her own life and this was based on the realization hey this is what I was born for you know what I think right now I think right now we've got a few crazy cousin Mordecai's roaming around the place who are calling out to a church that is so immersed in the culture and priorities and values of the world that she is indistinct from what's around her. Right now we've got a few crazy cousin Mordecai's who are calling to the church that has its lamp hidden under a bowl, who are calling to a church that has lost its saltiness, who are calling to the church that has fully embraced the culture, values and fears of our society in this time saying, Hey, You were called to the kingdom for such a time as this. I think Mordecai is is shouting to the church. Crazy cousin Mordecai is saying to the church, Hey church, you alone can go to the king and intercede for the salvation of your people. I think that Mordecai might be saying this to the church. Wake up and be, be what Jesus has made you to be. Mark 11, 17, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Wake up and be what Jesus has made you to be, a house of prayer. Then you can do what Jesus has made you to do. Go into all the nations and make disciples of all people. I don't think honestly, some of you are going to disagree with me on this. I don't think honestly this has much to do with protest. I don't think it has much to do with civil disobedience. No matter how much injustice there is, it's about prayer and it's about humble obedience and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of people right now are are like, oh, and they're wondering if this has caught God by surprise. Nothing has caught God by surprise. Nothing has caused him to wonder what to do. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly the way that he will lead us through all that unfolds. I'm getting a little bit carried away here, aren't I? But I feel pretty passionate about this. You know, right now, in many cases, the church isn't liking the message of Mordecai very much. Crazy cousin Mordecai, he's messing things up. He doesn't let us dream of going back to the normal that we had before. He makes us uncomfortable. Here's a quote that I came across recently by um, AG Gardner. When a prophet is accepted and deified, his, mes- his message is lost. The prophet is only useful so long as he is stoned as a public nuisance calling us to repentance, disturbing our comfortable routines and breaking our respectable idols and shattering our sacred conventions. So Esther goes to the king. She receives favor. The plot is uncovered and stopped and the Jewish people are saved and Haman's wickedness is uncovered. And I I get, this is going to be, I'm going to try not to get all, Fired up and preachy here because I get pretty... This this part really gets me. So Esther's... She goes to the king. She receives favor. The plot is uncovered and stopped. The Jewish people are saved. And Haman's wickedness is uncovered. And at the end of the story, Haman is hung on the very gallows that he had built to uh, put Mordecai to death on. The very instrument that Haman had earmarked for Mordecai's destruction instead became the place of his own demise. Doesn't that remind you of Joseph saying in Genesis chapter 50, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people. Even the devil's most evil plans will ultimately backfire against him. And I believe this, I believe that the devil will find himself hung on the very gallows that he himself created to enslave a generation, particularly a generation of young people, to enslave them. The devil himself will be hung on the, on the, on the very gallows of oppression that he poured into a generation of young people as they wake up out of the haze, get filled with the Holy Spirit and realize I was born for such a time as this. And this is not just for the young people. This is for the people with hair this color and people even older than me, if you can believe that. Even the oppression, even the persecution, even the accusation leveled against the church will only serve God's purposes in making her ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let me just read a couple of quotes to you. This is a quote from a lady who lived in Germany in 1934. She was a friend of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Her name was Ruth von Kleist Ritzau. That's a bit of a mouthful to me. She said this in the tide of rising persecution that was existing in Germany against the church. She says, we have to give thanks again and again that poor, suppressed Christianity is becoming so alive in calamity. For more than 40 years, I have been anxious about the petrification, the paralysis of the church. Oh, it had to happen that the church should remember her commission afresh. She said the persecution had to come to wake the church up to her commission in a fresh way. Well, many of you have read uh, the book, The Heavenly Man, about that guy, Brother Yun. This is a crazy quote. Listen to this. We shouldn't pray for a lighter load to carry, but a stronger back to endure. Then the world will see that God is with us, empowering us to live in a way that reflects his love and power. And listen to this. Ah! Oh, instead of weakening us, the persecution just made us stronger. The more pressure there was, the more fire and love there was to spread the gospel. Crazy Uncle Mordecai is roaming around and he's calling us to wake up. He's calling us to stop longing to go back to the normal of the comfortable but lukewarm and fruitless existence that we had before. He's calling us to wake up. He's not calling us to run away from the persecution. I don't even think to protest against it, but to realize that God has a higher purpose than our comfort in this life. But he is making a way for the forever that is to come. And people everywhere, men, women and children everywhere in our nation and in your nation there in America need to know that Jesus is Lord and Savior because our Jesus, great King Jesus, he's already beaten the devil. Listen to this quote. I've been flailing around with this one for a little while. The light that shines from the vacant cross and the empty tomb shows us our heavenly David with the head of Goliath in his hand. Behold the strong one, overcome by a stronger than he, stripped of the armor wherein he trusted and bound with the cords of divine justice. The devil will not win. Jesus has already won. And he will have a bride made ready, even in the fiery turbulence of these last days. He will pour out his spirit. We will see awakening. And the very things that the devil set out to try and stop and persecute the church will only serve to make her more like Christ, more ready for the day when we will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person in each of these locations who will hear these words. Lord, these words of mine are just empty and weak and frail and pointless unless you somehow breathe upon them. Lord, make us ready, not just for the days that we are in, but for that which is coming. Lord, I pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit for every person that comes across this message. And Lord, I'm asking that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would make us resolute and fiery-hearted, filled with the Holy Ghost for such a time as this. Thank you that you are raising up Mordecais that are shaking and waking us up, that we would no longer be indistinct, immersed and lost in the culture of the world around us, but that we would begin to be those who by prayer and by demonstration pray and live, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God bless you. All the best. I hope, I hope that was helpful. Feel free to pray for each other and uh, and any, any uh, letters of complaint regarding that ministry, you can direct them to Steve Allen. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.